You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in, everybody, episode Three. 575 of the podcast. It is Super America, the Intertour Sports Podcast. It is Friday, August 26th. 2022 people and if i it sounds like i got an extra pep in my step my voice is cracking it is because we got college football coming at you tomorrow week zero is here now i'll be honest we're not gonna do a ton on week zero on today's show it's just a couple games really only one to two that ultimately are probably gonna matter in the grand scheme of college football but instead what we're gonna do oh it is a college football uh, loaded loaded just show whatever you want to call it I'm gonna give you my college football playoff picks to lead the show four teams who makes it don't forget it this time last year I told you Georgia's gonna win the national championship. How about my dogs? Georgia, not this year's national champion. Hate to spoil it for you, Georgia fans. We'll talk about that. From there, we'll come back, give you my Heisman Trophy pick, which is a little bit off the radar, a little bit different than what most people have. I will explain why I like this particular person. And finally, we will wrap with our Friday staple, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Fun show, fun couple weeks ahead, I will tell you. If everything goes as planned, if all the ink dries on all the contracts that I think we have some major announcements coming up, I counted today. If everything goes well, I got four, count them, four major announcements between now and the start of the NFL season in a few weeks, so make sure to stay tuned. All I can tell you, a little spoiler, again, if everything goes to plan, one, if you like Torres, well, guess what? You're going to be getting more of them, and even if you don't like Torres, you're going to be getting more of them. Uh, And also, as I've told you a few times, we're gonna give you. We're gonna be giving away cash on this show. I'm basically the modern day Oprah. Get just giving away cash. You get some cash. You get some cash. You get some cash. I'll give you all those details coming up over the next few days. Make sure you're plugged into the Aaron Torres Pod next week, going into Week One of the college football season. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is well, next Friday we'll be previewing Week One. Of course, this Friday. It is week zero in college football. Now, as I just told you, I am not going to go crazy previewing week zero. I think everybody knows there's one really big storyline. Nebraska is playing in Ireland against Northwestern. Scott Frost is coaching for his job. And so by Saturday, we're going to know what the big story of the college football day is. Either Scott Frost threw more dirt on his grave, or Scott Frost maybe got a win that is going to push Nebraska in the right direction. There's some other stuff in Week 0 that I'm excited about. Obviously, my UConn Huskies. Can't see it. I'm wearing a UConn shirt right now. Uh, My UConn Huskies play in Week 0 against Utah State. Utah State actually opens with Alabama in Week 1. So imagine being Utah State. UConn in Week 0, Alabama in Week 1. Good luck to those guys if you know what I'm saying. A couple other things, you know, Florida State plays uh, an FCS team, Duquesne. That, of course, Florida State will be their opener before they play LSU in week one on that Labor Day weekend Sunday. So a couple storylines, and we'll have stuff to talk about on Monday. But today, rather than pretending to overanalyze Florida State, Duquesne, or UConn, Utah State, or even Nebraska Northwestern, 
what I want to do is kind of put a bow on all of the preseason content so that next Monday we can hit the ground running with reaction to what happened this weekend and preview what is coming next Saturday. And so what I want to do is go ahead and give you my preseason college football prediction, college football playoff predictions. That's right, every single person in the college football media is doing it. But as I just told you a year ago, I told you to pick Georgia. How about my dogs? And I was dead right. So everybody can get out, give out picks. Let's see if I can go, if I can do as well as I did this time last year where I picked the eventual national champion, a team that not very many picked going into the season. This is what I want to do. I'm going to give you my four playoff teams. I will give you matchups from there and who I have winning the national championship. First of all, in the number one seed, let's get to my college football playoff predictions. Number one seed. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. It is the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I have talked about Alabama so much on this show over the last couple weeks. I'm not going to go through the depth chart player by player. At this point, you know what Alabama has, specifically at the star level positions. Bryce Young, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, is back at quarterback after, again, winning that Heisman Trophy 47 touchdowns a year ago, 47 touchdown passes, I should say, a year ago. Will Anderson is a star on defense. Um, And I think, again, I've mentioned all of the transfer portal stuff. Uh, Jermaine Burton, wide receiver from Georgia. Jameer Gibbs, running back from Georgia Tech. So I'm not going to go through the entire roster. But what I would say about Alabama, the thing that keeps standing out to me, and I cannot emphasize this enough, there have been years where I believe that Alabama comes into the regular season as the best team in college football. There's been quite a few of them over the last 15, 16 years since Nick Saban got to Alabama in 2007. But rarely have they had, in my opinion, the clear best team in college football with a very clear chip on their shoulder. And so that is the difference to me in this season, almost like what we saw in 2022 years ago. If you remember two years ago in college football, that was the COVID year. But in 2019, LSU wins the national championship. Ironically, Alabama plays them as tough as anybody. Tua goes down, or Tua plays in that game, but he's far from 100%. And I think Alabama went into that offseason saying, we believe if we were healthy, we were as good as LSU last year. So let's leave no doubt they did it. They had a historic season in the COVID year, and I believe it can be much the same. One, I don't think there's any doubt that Bryce Young has more weapons this year than he has ever had before at any point in his career. And when I say that, I really mean last year. Last year kind of had a between-the-tackles runner in Brian Robinson, one great wide receiver in Jamison Williams, another very good wide receiver in John Mechie, who unfortunately is going through some very serious medical issues right now. We're all thinking about him. But when I look at Alabama this year, I just think there's going to be more weapons for Bryce Young. And it was interesting because Nick Saban was on Colin Cowherd's show on Thursday. And the one thing he said that stood out to me was that Bryce Young to him is more of a point guard than a quarterback, that he's great at getting everybody involved. And so now you give him a deeper set of weapons. That is scary to me in terms of the college football playoff. To keep it going and to take it a step further, I think as weird as this sounds, this could be one of Nick Saban's best defenses. Remember, first of all, they were top 10 nationally last year in total defense, so it's not as though they weren't already very good. But on top of that, they bring back eight starters. Most of them are going to be early round draft picks. I think you're talking about three, maybe four starters on this defense will be drafted in the first round next year. Will Anderson, potentially number one pick. Eli Ricks, maybe the top cornerback off the board transfer from LSU. Henry Toto, linebacker transfer from Tennessee a year ago. Uh, Jordan Battle, a safety, is really good. So you look at all the talent that they have. Dallas Turner is only a sophomore. I think he'll be a top 10-ish type pick a year from now, actually in 2024. So I guess it would be 18 or so months from now. But it's not only an elite offense. This defense was top 10 nationally and brings back almost everybody. And so when I look at Alabama, as I said on Wednesday's show, I believe they're the best team in college football. I do believe there's a little bit of a gap between them and Ohio State at number two. I look at the schedule. I think it's actually, by SEC standards, pretty hard. First of all, you got the out-of-conference game at Texas. I wouldn't really worry about that if I was a Bama fan. Texas is whatever. But then in conference, you have to play at Tennessee, improving team, fast-paced offense, not going to be easy. You have to play 
uh, at LSU, which is a rivalry game. Maybe by then Brian Kelly has things rolling, although LSU obviously has a lot of work to do. Uh, just, just you know, between now and early November when they would play Alabama, you do also have to play early in the season, and I think this is worth noting. They've played them late the last few years, but at Arkansas, that game comes a week before Texas A&M. And so I bring it up. Could they possibly be looking forward to Texas A&M when they could get a top 25 Arkansas team on the road in Fayetteville? And then also Ole Miss, which is obviously really good. And Lane Kiffin, to some degree, has given Nick Saban fits since he got there. So I think the schedule is tough. I don't really worry that much for this particular Alabama team, though, that has a major chip on their shoulder. I think they go to Atlanta undefeated. I think they take care of Georgia in the SEC championship game. I think Alabama enters the college football playoff as the number one overall seed. Number two overall seed, another team that I have talked about a lot, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yes, I have Ohio State at number two. Alabama's my one seed. Ohio State is number two, and the reasons why are obvious. They're going to have the best offense in college football, and it's no disrespect to Bryce Young and those guys, USC, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, but when I look at Ohio State, Number one total offense in college football last year, 561 yards per game scored. On top of that, the number of 561 yards per game, not scored. They didn't score that many, but they had 561 yards per game. Then also, 45 points per game last season at Ohio State. And this is a team that, again, they put up a lot of points against a lot of people, and they bring back basically the entire offense. C.J. Stroud, at quarterback. There's a reason this guy is the favorite to win the 2022 Heisman Trophy. Uh, in the sports books and in the betting odds, he is the favorite. Completed 72% of his passes, 44 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. But then on top of that, the skill position talent around him is insane. Travion Henderson, the running back, mentioned it the other day. Uh, similar numbers as a freshman to Maurice Claret. We remember Maurice Claret, that historic freshman season for him on the way to leading Ohio State to a national championship. Travion Henderson basically put up the Id- identical numbers. I know it's a new world. I know it's a different type of offense, obviously much, much more advanced under Ryan Day. Those, that, that Saying that you're in the same breath as an Ohio State running back as a freshman, as Maurice Claret, is only a good thing. And then the wide receiver core. Look, it's the best in college football. It's the best in college football, no doubt. Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, is a, dark, a Heisman dark horse, as I, as I discussed last week. Uh, Garrett Wilson is gone. Chris Olave is gone. Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be the focal point. And he was already the best wide receiver on this team. But what's crazy is the two guys that I just mentioned, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, they're gone. Top 15 picks in the last NFL draft. You just replace them with other really talented players. Marvin Harrison Jr., yes, the son of the Hall of Famer Marvin Harrison. Emeka Abuka, the number one wide receiver in the high school class of 2021. This receiver room is loaded, and that's why I think Ohio State makes the college football playoff. That offense is just going to be so explosive. I am a little bit worried about the defense. I am a little bit worried about the schedule, but a couple things stand out when I think about that. First off, you look at the defense, yes, I'm very concerned about the defense. As I told you, they were ranked 60th in the country last year. But that offense is going to be so good that if Ohio State can be even incrementally better, not elite, just incrementally better, I think you're, I don't even think most of these games are going to be close because the offense is going to be so good. And the schedule, I will say, does worry me a little bit. On top of the fact that I do think um, you know, that the defense needs to be better, schedule is pretty tough. Obviously, you get Michigan. That is a rematch of last year's loss. That game, is in, that game is in Columbus for Ohio State. But they open with Notre Dame. They play Michigan at home to end the season. In between, it's worth noting, they have to go to Penn State, which has given them trouble in the past. They have to go to Michigan State, which is obviously an improving program under Mel Tucker. And also, they get two cross-division games with two really tough programs. Wisconsin and Iowa. Now, the benefit is both of those games are at home. The Wisconsin game has already been announced, uh, or I I thought it had been announced. It's been announced as an ABC game, which to me means it's almost certainly an evening game. But I do think at some point, Ohio State is going to have some loss along the way. Because of it, I have Ohio State as the number two seed, but the top-ranked one-loss team in college football going into the playoff on the strength of the schedule. 
on the strength of the fact that we are talking about a team that is going to play five teams ranked in the preseason top 25 going into the season. Uh, They are going to play Notre Dame to open the season. Notre Dame is number five in the country. They're going to play later in the year. Michigan State ranked number 15. Wisconsin, number 18. I forgot to mention Michigan, number eight. And also Iowa, which I guess Iowa just missed the top 25. Penn State as well. So four top 25 opponents plus Penn State plus Iowa. I think they take a loss somewhere along the way. I don't believe that there's anyone in the Big Ten that will ultimately surpass them, though, in terms of winning the division, beating them in the Big Ten championship game. By the way, just for fun, I do have Purdue winning the Big Ten West. Not that it means very much. I think Ohio State wins comfortably the Big Ten, and they go back to the college football playoff after missing it last year. Number three, a team that I talked about a lot on Wednesday's show, and a team that I feel like I'm the only one that I believe in. I'm the only one. So Oklahoma Sooners fans, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm driving the bandwagon. You get on board. You let Torres drag you to the finish line, baby. I really like Oklahoma coming into this year. Now, I think most of the presumption is that Oklahoma is going to take a major step back without Lincoln Riley. And I do think, like, I think there's a lot of revisionist history with Lincoln Riley. And, you know, this idea that he didn't build the program and he didn't do this and he didn't do that. I I wouldn't quite say that Bob Stoops was totally on the hot seat when he got there. But the fan base was starting to turn on Bob Stoops. Lincoln Riley comes in. uh, The offense blows up. He ends up becoming a head coach. And the program dominates the Big 12 from there. And so it did dominate towards the end of the Bob Stoops era. I'm not trying to take it away. But I think people are trying to take away what Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma. And it was incredible. So that is the argument against Oklahoma. Here's my argument. The other argument, of course, is that Brent Venables is, of course, a first-year head coach. Now, my argument as far as that's concerned is this. It's not as though a first-year head coach has never made the playoff before. Ryan Day did it a few years ago. Lincoln Riley did it as the head coach at Oklahoma. Larry Coker, by the way, won a national championship a million years ago at Miami in his first year. So when I look at the history of college football, what the history of college football tells me is if there is a great infrastructure in place by a a very good coach, in the case of Ohio State, it was Urban Meyer. In the case of Oklahoma, it was Bob Stoops. In the case of Miami, it was Butch Davis. If there's a good infrastructure with a good coach and good players, you can have immediate success in year one as a head coach. And I think that's exactly what Brent Venables is taking over. And another knock on Lincoln Riley is the idea that, oh, he didn't recruit a team good enough to win the national championship. Now, part of it is on Lincoln Riley because he said on the way out that something to the effect of every year I went into the playoff, I had the fourth best team, so let's not shed any tears for Lincoln Riley. But here's kind of an interesting fact I don't think a lot of people realize, even though I've tried to tell you it on the Air Tour Sports podcast the last three or four weeks. Oklahoma, top 10 recruiting class in 2019, top 10 recruiting class in 2021, Top 10 recruiting class in 2022, which credit to Brent Venables, he closed on that one. But why I bring that up is because of the fact that every single summer, a guy named Bud Elliott works for 24-7 Sports, kind of a college football uh, recruiting hybrid guy, really talented writer, reporter, whatever you want to call him. Very talented guy. I want to give him credit for this. He created something called the blue chip ratio, where he essentially looks at all four or five recruiting classes every player currently in your program and tries to determine based on the recruiting rankings who has the most talent in college football going into a season. Probably the surprise of no one, Alabama's number one. Probably the surprise of no one, Ohio State's number two. Georgia falls back to number three if you want to call it falling back after losing all that talent to the NFL last year. But then number four is Oklahoma. And I think when you think of the most talented teams in college football... I think your first thought is probably outside of those top three, maybe an LSU, maybe a Clemson, maybe a Texas. I don't think people immediately default to Oklahoma, but they are going to have the most talented roster in every game that they play, and the schedule breaks pretty nicely for them. They do play out of conference at Nebraska. As I said, we'll find out by the end of this weekend if Nebraska has really figured things out or if they're the same old Nebraska under Scott Frost, but in conference, they get Texas early as they always do, and we know how to feel about Texas. And then also, on top of that, um, we get, they get the two best teams probably in the Big 12 outside of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and Baylor, both of those games at home. So I do think Oklahoma, I don't think they're so much more talented than everybody that they go undefeated in the regular season. 
I think they go 11-1. and one. I think they go to the Big 12 championship game. I think they beat Oklahoma State for a second time in the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma will get into the college football playoff as a 12-1 Big 12 champ. Number three seed, obviously, behind Ohio State because the schedule isn't quite as tough. Finally, the number four team. It is the team that was a trendy playoff dark horse that is no longer really trendy because everybody's picking them, but I do like them. It's the Utah Utes. Yes, Utah. Yes, the Pac-12 will be back. But when you actually start to break down Utah, there's a reason why so many people who love college football, like myself, are so high on Utah. Keep in mind, we spent all offseason talking about how great the Ohio State offense is, the chance that it has to be historically great this year in college football. I'm talking about Ohio State. Well, what was the last time we saw Ohio State on a football field? It was in the Rose Bowl against Utah, and Utah went score for score with Ohio State in the college football playoff. And so if Ohio State has a potentially historically great offense and they went score for, and Utah went score for score with them last year in the Rose Bowl, why can't Utah have one of the two or three best offenses in college football, especially when you consider what they did late in the year? Finished the year, by the way, top 20 nationally in, in scoring offense, and this was after a slow start in which they lost two of their first three games. Well, what happened after they lost two of their first three games? They benched the starting quarterback, a kid named Charlie Brewer. He immediately hits the portal. He's now playing for Hugh Freeze, friend of the Aaron Torres pod at Liberty. And they put in a kid named Cam Rising. Well, Cam Rising comes in. They win nine of the 10 games in the regular season in Pac-12 championship with him under center. They go nine and two overall, including that Rose Bowl. And the offense absolutely takes off. I looked it up and this stat is pretty freaking incredible. In his final four, the final 10 games of the season, excuse me, after October 1st. Now, he took over a little bit before that, but the final 10 games with this kid under center, and he's back this year, Utah scored 34 or more points in nine of their final 10 games, including the Pac-12 championship game in the Rose Bowl. So this isn't the three yards in a cloud of dust Utah offense. It's explosive. It's dynamic. They did lose their best wide receiver, Britton Covey, but... They bring back Cam Rising, they bring back uh, 1,000-yard rusher Tavion Thomas, and they bring back most of the offensive line. Now, defense, they did lose a decent amount, including their their best defensive player, Devin Lloyd, first-round NFL draft pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they still bring back a bunch of starters. They actually, you don't think of Utah as a portal team, but they did pretty good in the portal. They they got the uh, a linebacker from Stanford named Gabe Reed, who was really good for them. Uh, Mohamed Diabate, a transfer from Florida, who was second on that team in tackles. So Utah, they're plugging holes in the portal like they're LSU or USC with a much better baseline. So I like them, again, to go 11-1 and and win the Pac-12. What I will say, a couple things to keep in mind with Utah. The first thing is the schedule is really tough out of the gate, okay? So if, if you're making the argument against Utah, or even if you're making it for Utah, whatever you think of them, we're going to know everything there is to know about Utah by the middle of October, and here's why. Week one, they play at Florida. So they fly cross-country next Saturday into the swamp. The game is at least at night for weather purposes, uh, but they play Florida in week one of the college football season. First week, uh, or early October, they play at UCLA. I am higher on UCLA than most And then they also play USC on October 15th. So in the first five to six weeks of the season, by mid-October, they are going to play three teams that I believe are top 25 caliber uh, in, well, maybe not. Florida's not quite top 25 caliber, but it's it's a road game in an SEC stadium. So you look at the schedule. We're going to know awfully quick if Utah is good, and then they do play Oregon late in the year. And keep in mind, they beat Oregon Pretty darn bad twice last year, so you know Oregon's going to want revenge. I do have Utah as the fourth team in the college football playoff. Now, in terms of the matchups, that would obviously be Utah versus Alabama, one versus four, and I think you probably know where I'm going with this. Listen, I, I love the Utah story. I think they're incredible. I think this game would probably, on paper, be closer than people expect, but what I would say about any potential matchup between Utah and Alabama is is that Utah is a big, physical, tough team. 
and I think that would serve them well against a team like Alabama. But at some point, Alabama's just as big, just as physical, just as tough, and they just have more NFL bodies, more size, more athleticism, and that's what would concern me in a game like that. Utah, defensively, as good as they were last year, couldn't stop Ohio State. Ohio State just had NFL wide receivers and running backs all over the field. Well, now imagine Alabama taking the field in that exact same scenario, only they have the dudes on defense to back it up. So I'm not going to do crazy predictions here in the fall, or in the summer, excuse me, but if they play in the semifinal, I would guess Alabama wins somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to 14 or something like that. Listen, you know, we saw it last year in the college football playoff when Alabama played Cincinnati, and Utah's better than Cincinnati was last year, but at a certain point, Alabama's just so much bigger, better, and more physical than everybody else that they're just playing a different brand of football, and Cincinnati was so well-coached, so well-disciplined, they just didn't have the dues to keep up, and that's kind of the sense that I would get of what would happen if Utah matched up with Alabama. In the other semifinal, I would have Oklahoma over Ohio State. I think most people would assume, well, Torres, got to be Ohio State, right? No, actually, I'm taking Oklahoma. That is right. I am riding Boomer Sooner all the way to the national championship game. First of all, how, uh, how goofy would it be? How goofy would it be if we got a scenario where Lincoln Riley keeps saying, I can't get over the hump, I can't get over the hump, I can't get over the hump, made the college football playoff with the fourth best roster every time I was there. And then Brent Venables takes all his players and gets there in year one. I think Oklahoma fans would have some fun with that. But two, it goes back to what I said. Give Brent Venables a month to prepare for this Ohio State offense. I think he's going to put a scheme together. Now, you go back two, three, four years, Ohio State played Clemson in the semifinal. That was the Justin Fields-Trevor Lawrence game. Not claiming that Oklahoma has an answer quite like Trevor Lawrence, but to Brent Venable's credit, he did a very good job of shutting down that Ohio State def- uh, offense. They scored like 13 points in the first three possessions or something like that, and then were essentially held scoreless most of the rest of the game. Give Brent Venable's time. I believe that Oklahoma would have enough to make a college football playoff national championship game. They would beat Ohio State in the semifinal. We'll say 20, how does 28-24 sound in that one in what would be the lowest scoring game of Ohio State season? And then finally, in the national championship game, I do have Alabama for all of the reasons that I have told you for all of these months now. I just look at this team. They're the most talented they're the most, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the most well-coached. I mean, they're, they're, that's not a disrespect to Ohio State or Oklahoma or, Clem, you know, whatever. They're just really well-coached. They have the most talent. And this is just a chip-on-their-shoulder revenge tour type season. It's not often, as I said, that you get the best, most talented team in college football with a chip on their shoulder coming into that season. And that's exactly what Alabama is. Uh, and I do believe that when I look at Alabama... I just see a team, and I said it the other day, I think they are significantly better than everybody else in college football because of it. Alabama is my 2022 college football national champion. There were, by the way, two other teams that I I really did have a very hard time leaving out of the playoff picture, and I'll explain why here. Not really a surprise on either one. I very much wanted to put Georgia into the college football playoff for this reason. It's because it's really hard to find a loss on their regular season schedule. And if you can't find a loss on their regular season schedule, then that means they're going to go to the SEC title game undefeated. And what it probably means is even if they lose to Bama, they would get back to the college football playoff. So I almost had Georgia in over Utah. But where I hesitated was, we all know college football. And... Even when you're really good, there, there are just days where, where it's just not your day, where, where you catch the wrong team on the wrong day at the wrong time, and where you get upset. And so I do think with, when you start stacking up everything that Georgia has lost since the start of last season, so many starters on defense, five first-round picks off the defensive side of the football, your best running, two best running backs, Zamir White and James Cook, uh, you know, wide receivers, whatever. I just don't see them finishing the regular season undefeated. Now, they're going to be favored in every game. I think they're going to make certain teams look really bad. But I do think somewhere along the way, somebody is going to knock them off in a regular season game, even though I think they're still going to win the SEC East. 
And so if they go to the SEC championship game with one loss, then I do think it makes it harder for them to get into the college football playoff as a two-loss team because we've simply never seen it. So that was kind of my thought for keeping Georgia out. And I was really close on Clemson, too. I'll say this. You know, Clemson, again, we talked about it on Wednesday's show. You look at everything that went wrong for Clemson last year. DJ's a complete disaster at quarterback. Your best running back gets hurt. A first-round NFL draft talent on the defensive line is out for the season after three, four, five games. And they still went 10-3. and three. They won their final five regular season games. They won a bowl game. That was in the worst-case scenario. Here's why I can't pick Clemson to make the college football playoff. One, I just don't know about the quarterback, right? Like, like it's easy for Dabo now to say, oh, you know, DJ's our guy. He's so much better than he was last year. And even if Dabo means it, I'm not saying that he's lying about it. But even if he is not lying about it, is DJ going to be that improved to go 11-1 or 12-0 to make the college football playoff? Especially when you consider a couple other things. One, Clemson lost both of its coordinators, Brent Venables, obviously the head coach at Oklahoma. Tony Elliott is now the, the head coach at Virginia, uh, University of Virginia. I was going to say Virginia Tech, but University of Virginia. And three, the schedule is pretty tough by ACC standards. Now, they open against Georgia Tech in Atlanta on Labor Day weekend. They should win that game going away. But then you play at Wake Forest in late September. Wake Forest, of course, won 10 games last year, was the reigning uh, ACC champ. You then play NC State the following week. NC State's a team that beat you last year. A lot of preseason buzz there in the top 15 nationally. You play at Boston College, at Florida State, two improved teams. Boston College has given you trouble in the past. We'll see about Florida State. And then you close at Notre Dame and Miami and South Carolina in the final four weeks of the season. So, I mean, you're talking about really about seven or eight really good opponents and I think Clemson is going to be favored in every one of those games, but are you really going to win all of them or go 11-1 when we don't really know about your quarterback? You lost both coordinators. I just don't know. And so it goes back to what I said. Even if DJ's not the guy, if you have to make that move, by the time you make the move, you might already have a loss. And so, and then you're actually believing that Cade Klubnick, the backup quarterback who's a freshman, is good enough to, to win you every single game you play the rest of the way. So Clemson, I, I just couldn't justify it. And the defensive talent might be the best in college football. The way we talk about Ohio State's offense, Clemson's defense got those kind of dudes on defense. Miles Murphy, Brian Brze, Trenton Simpson. I mean, you go on and on down the list, but Clemson was left out. I'd probably put Clemson at number five, Georgia at number six, but those are my four college football playoff teams. Bama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Utah, Alabama beating Oklahoma in the college football playoff title game. Speaking of college football, it's go time, baby. And what I want to do next, I want to continue the conversation, but I want to switch gears. And I want to talk about the Heisman Trophy race. That is right. It is that time. I'm going to take a quick break, and I'm going to tell you who my Heisman Trophy winner is. A little bit different, probably, than you're expecting. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I want to keep talking college football, but kind of switch gears just a little bit because I just gave you my national championship picks. And what I want to do now is focus on the Heisman Trophy. It's always a fun conversation, fun thing to talk about this time of year. 
And uh, I'm ready to give you my official Heisman pick, and it's a little bit different than I think most people that you're going to see, maybe different than everybody that you're going to see. But I think when you hear who I have, hear the logic behind it, it is going to make uh, a ton of sense, or I, I think it'll at least make sense. I'm not saying you should go bet it yourself. I'm just saying that I think it'll make a ton of sense. First of all, I think anybody who follows this kind of stuff knows that in any particular order, the top three is almost universal. Uh, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State quarterback, is number one. Bryce Young, the reigning winner of the Heisman, Alabama quarterback, in at number two. Obviously, you can make the argument that he should be the favorite. And number three is Caleb Williams, quarterback at USC. And while I understand why all three of those guys are the top three in the Heisman Trophy votes, I ha- or Heisman Trophy preseason polls or predictions or odds... I have a different opinion altogether on who's going to win. If you follow me on social media, you kind of know where I'm going with this. I've been talking about this guy since last season ended. I put a sizable bet on him when I was in Vegas a few months back, back in June. And, uh, you know, even on, 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 I guess it was Tuesday's Aaron Torres pod where we talked Heisman odds, I kind of played this guy up quite a bit. So with that said... My 2022 Heisman Trophy winner. I don't go too far down the board after that top three, but it is. Drum roll, please. Alabama defensive end, Will Anderson. Alabama defensive end, Will Anderson, is my 2022 Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, First defensive player to ever win the award. I am calling my shot right now. I am Babe Ruth pointing to the stands. I have Will Anderson winning the Heisman Trophy. So why do I like Will Anderson? First of all, I don't think I'm too crazy because what I will tell you, uh, I got Will Anderson at 30 to 1 back in June when I was in Vegas. Now you look at most sports books, he's about 20 to 1, which means that over the course of the last couple months, a lot of money has been coming coming in on him. Don't want to say I I personally moved the market because I don't think I did, but I think a lot of sports bettors see what I see in Will Anderson. And I think what what it really starts with point blank is that he's just a really good football player, right? As a matter of fact, I take it a step further. He isn't just a good football player. Uh, He is one of the elite edge guys that we have seen in college football in recent history. That sounds like hyperbole until you actually watch the tape and look at the stats. Last year, his his stats were just video game-like, okay? So he finished with 33 and a half tackles for loss last year. 33 and a half tackles for loss for the University of Alabama No one else in college football had more than 22. So he had 33%, a third more tackles for loss than anyone else in college football. How about this? Aiden Hutchinson, who ended up being the number two pick in the draft and finishing as the Heisman runner-up from Michigan, had half as many tackles for loss last year and ended up being the Heisman runner-up. So there's that part of it. There's the fact that his 17 and a half sacks led college football last year as well. So last year led college football in tackles for loss in sacks. He's got to come back for a junior year. This is how good Will Anderson is, and I've dropped this nugget quite a few times over the last couple weeks, but it's worth reiterating. Nick Saban literally said during Alabama spring game, they had to take Will Anderson out of the spring game so that he could see his first team offense actually just get reps without Will Anderson being in the backfield blowing things up for Bryce Young in like, you know, 0.2 seconds. Like, like they couldn't, if Alabama, just think about that, Alabama couldn't run its offense in the spring because Will Anderson kept screwing it up. Uh, What do you think that means when Alabama plays Vanderbilt or Texas or I don't know whoever else they're going to play, Mississippi State, Ole Miss? It's going to get ugly, and it is going to get ugly in a hurry. There is a reason that everyone universally says Will Anderson is the best pure football player in college football. And by the way, it's worth noting, there's a reason that a lot of people think that if there's any chance that anybody doesn't, that anybody goes and ends up being the number one pick that isn't a quarterback, isn't C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, whoever, that it's going to be Will Anderson potentially going number one overall in next year's draft. So the stats back it up. The odds are in my favor. But here's why I really like Will Anderson. Besides the fact that he's the best player in college football with the best stats in college football, what does the Heisman Trophy often come down to? Comes down to the story, right? Now look, some guys are so dominant, it doesn't really matter what the story is. They're just so much better than everybody else, they're going to win it. But think about how juiced up the media gets and we as fans get, and I guess I'm in a little bit of both categories, about the story behind the Heisman Trophy. 
Joe Burrow. It's not enough just to be the best quarterback in SEC history, potentially. Oh, he overcame so much. He got beat out at Ohio State. He transferred. Let's talk about it nonstop. Uh, Johnny Manziel that one year. You know, it's interesting. This guy finished in second place, but I know a lot of you have seen that Manti Teo documentary. I have not seen it, but that was a big part of the Manti Teo deal, right? Was the story, was the situation off the field, was that he's at Notre Dame, that he's a defensive player. And so when I look at Will Anderson, by the way, Aiden Hutchison, perfect example last year, perfect example of how a story and a narrative can push Heisman voting. It wasn't just that he was a good defensive lineman. He was an elite defensive lineman, by the way. But if it was based on pure stats, Will Anderson would have been there over Aiden Hutchinson. But it was the fact that Aiden Hutchinson at Michigan, they finally beat Ohio State, plays his biggest game in the most important moment. And then, oh, by the way, on top of all that, he manifested it and he visualized beating Ohio State and he came back for another year to do this. The story matters. And when it comes to Will Anderson, the story's pretty much awesome and it's pretty much a year old at this point and it's exactly what I just told you go back to last December and if you're not an Alabama fan you might not know this there was big anger out of the Alabama fan base not that Will Anderson didn't win the award obviously Bryce Young his teammate won it but there were a lot of people that sat there and said how did this guy not even get an invite to New York again his numbers comically eclipsed Aiden Hutchinson. He's the runner-up. How does Will Anderson not even get an invite? So we've kind of had that momentum for the last year. And imagine if he's putting up the same stats midway through this year. Oh, it's going to be snubbed last year, overcame it, came back for another year. You know, Will Anderson has kind of an interesting background. He actually refused to take NIL money at this time last year, wanted to focus completely on football. You know, that 72-year-old Heisman voter up in North Dakota is going to love that story. So the story of that, the story of being the first defensive player to potentially win the Heisman Trophy, if he puts up stats like he did last year, that is going to be the story all late September all early October, all mid-October, all late October into November, and then we will see if he can close out from there, and obviously I believe that he will. Finally, what I will say is this. This is kind of the same as the story behind Will Anderson, but I also do think that the media and the media narrative I think is going to be a factor here, and what I would say about that, about that specific thing is this. Listen, I'm, a, you know, I, I'm not afraid to call out media. I'm not afraid to call out people in my business. I really don't care. My loyalty is to you guys as my audience. It's not to some writer for fill-in-the-blank outlet. But one thing that I have noticed, there's a lot of negatives to social media, but one thing that I do think the media does is, at least in sports, they kind of sort of hold people accountable, right? In terms of, not in terms of whatever, but in terms of sports stuff. And so I remember even five years ago, seven years ago, There'd be stories of Heisman Trophy voters sending in their Heisman votes before the regular season even ended or before the conference championship games. And what ended up happening was social media and and, and college football media went after these guys and girls. How can you do that? Your vote should be revoked. And so can't you already see? I already see some of these writers typing up the tweets right now trying to peer pressure people almost into voting for Will Anderson. And I'm not saying he's not going to be deserving. But what I am saying is, can't you just see some of these writers and media people in college football and you know exactly who I'm talking about? Can't you just see him? If you don't vote for Will Anderson, if you're not paying attention to Will Anderson, you should have your vote revoked. What are you doing? How can you possibly blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But what I am saying is the media now, you know, the media is kind of like a a, a fake watchdog with no real bite, but they will get after people for stuff like that. And I think if you hear a story of a voter sending it in or, you know, a voter, you know, tweeting something that makes it clear that he's not watching the games, other people in the media will call that guy out. And I think Will Anderson's going to get the, the, the brunt of support when it comes to people looking dumb, if that makes sense. And it also brings me to the final point about the media itself. And again, I'm part of the media. Uh, I have my weak moments like everybody else. And one thing that the media loves doing, and I was thinking about this as I kind of prepared this segment, nobody loves more than the media. And I include myself in this. This is why we do a segment called Aaron Right, Aaron Wrong, which we'll get to in a minute. Nobody loves telling you how right they are But beyond that, and myself certainly included, you know you will never hear the end if Will Anderson wins this award. But beyond that, 
Here's the other thought when it comes to the media. It's never enough for the media just to have an opinion on something. Everybody's always got to one-up the other, the, everybody else, right? It's never enough to just be the best. They're historically great. They're amazing. This guy should be this. That guy should be that. If you're not paying attention, this guy is the doing the whatever. I can, it's just, that's how the media is. It's never enough to just agree everybody's awesome or this guy's awesome. It has to be who's the greatest, who's the best. LeBron just won a title, but what does it mean compared to MJ? And so I do think with Will Anderson, I think if he keeps putting up those stats that he has, guess what I think ends up happening come again, mid-October, late October into November? Every media member is going to be one-upping each other to try to tell you how much they love Will Anderson and how much you're wrong if you don't love Will Anderson. Because, look, you're not going to do that for a quarterback, right? You're not going to do that for Caleb Williams or C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. We know they're awesome. They were awesome coming in. Plus, we've seen quarterbacks win this award virtually every year. And so when I look at this, I think it's going to be media members in October and early November just trying to one-up each other to tell you how much they love Will Anderson. He's so much better than this guy, and this is finally the year it has to happen. And so it's going to be one after the other after the other. And what I can tell you is, I don't know who's going to be the loudest about saying that Will Anderson should be the Heisman Trophy winner. What I do know, though, is I know who was first. It was your boy Torres And I truly believe that Will Anderson will be your 2022 Heisman Trophy winner. As a matter of fact, when it comes to Will Anderson, my only concern, as weird as it sounds, is I'm just worried he's not going to play enough. I mean, I go back to the year that Tua was a sophomore at Alabama coming off the national championship. And if you remember, and I know I talked about it on this podcast, we had just started this podcast, I think, but Tua, Alabama was so dominant that year in the regular season. Now, they lost in the championship game to Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. But Alabama was so dominant in the regular season, Tua basically was sitting the entire second half of every game. And so all year, the Heisman was his, the Heisman was his, the Heisman was his, and then all of a sudden it came to the last week, Kyler Murray has a big game or two, and he ends up winning it late. That's my only concern for Will Anderson, is does he play enough to kind of rack up the stats that he needs to, to be the 2022 Heisman Trophy winner? But regardless, he is my vote, he is my guy, and I think also it's worth noting I do think there's some stuff with some of the other candidates that I'm not really a a, a fan of. You know, with Bryce Young, I love Bryce Young. He threw for 47 touchdown passes last year. He won the SEC as a freshman. He won the Heisman. To win the Heisman, again, he's probably going to have to be better than 47 touchdowns plus an SEC title. I don't know if that happens. I'm a little bit more down on Caleb Williams than most. Look at his stats late in the season last year when USC played elite defenses, played Baylor, played Oklahoma State, played Iowa State. But Will Anderson is, in my opinion, your 2022 Heisman Trophy winner. Remember where you heard it first. Torres told you. Will Anderson, your 2022 Heisman Trophy winner. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break, come back, and you know what time it is. It's Friday. It's the last segment, and we are going to do what we do every Friday on this show, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We'll take a quick break. We will be right back. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap with what has quickly become America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We do it to wrap the show every Friday for one simple reason. It is a fun way to hold me accountable. Of course, by the way, did steal this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin has always been very good to me, like Colin a lot. Uh, every week on his show, he does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast because nobody loves telling you all the stuff that they get right more than your boy Torres. I just talked about it in the Will Anderson segment. Us media members, we love to tell you all the stuff that we got right. But we also get a lot of stuff wrong, too. I know that I certainly get a lot of stuff wrong, too. And so where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, it's a fun way to wrap the week. But more importantly, more importantly it's a fun way to hold myself accountable to basically own the fact that I do get stuff wrong. Nobody's perfect, not even me. So we do it every Friday to wrap the week. By the way, next Friday we'll have some college football picks to go with Aaron right, Aaron wrong. But let's get to it today where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right. Couple all-timers, and I, I think I just yelled. Sorry if I blew out your eardrums there. Couple all-timers in today's where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. One of them, Quinn Ewers and the University of Texas. This, of course, was the kid transferred from Ohio State last year. And on the day that he hit the transfer portal, I said he will be your week one starter at Texas. Keep in mind, he hadn't taken a visit. He hadn't put out a list. I said it doesn't matter. He's going to Texas, and he will be the week one starter. Well, last Friday, it was officially named Quinn Ewers will start week one for the Texas Longhorns. Listen, you don't need to be some sort of college football insider. As I told you on, I guess it would have been Wednesday's show, a couple things. One, there are very often times in college sports where stuff gets done, stuff gets worked out months before it becomes official. I keep using the example, but Imani Bates last year, we heard months in advance, weeks in advance, that he was going to reclassify, he was going to play college basketball last year, and he was going to do it at the University of Memphis. And so when I saw the Quinn Ewers deal, I said, look, when you're the former number one high school quarterback in America, when you are making over a million dollars in NIL, You're not leaving Ohio State unless you're going to a truly elite program. And if you're from Texas and if you need to keep making NIL money, you got to go to the University of Texas. I know Texas Tech got a visit. Texas Tech fans got mad that I said that they had no shot. I thought it was funny also Texas A&M was listed by Quinn Ewers. Of course, I talked to some people at Texas A&M and they said, no, we're not even recruiting him at all. And so I bring it up because it was always going to be Texas from Quinn Ewer's perspective. And once he got there, there's no way Steve Sarkeesian isn't starting him. This is the NIL world. Boosters have kind of a say in what goes on behind the scenes. But more importantly, Steve Sarkeesian needs wins this year, not only on the field, but publicly as well. He's gotten a lot in the offseason. He's got a lot in the recruiting world. Arch Manning, class of 2023. You can't bring in a guy, though, that was a former five-star and not start him, even if he's not the best guy. I told you, the day Quinn Ewers hit the portal, he was going to be your starter at Texas, and he very much is. Where Aaron was wrong. So Nick Saban signed a contract extension this week, and I'll be honest, I didn't really talk about it on this show because I I don't think there's anything that interesting. He should be the highest paid coach in college football. I have no problem with him making over whatever it is, $11 million a year. The money that he brings in to the University of Alabama far exceeds what the money he is being paid. If anything, Nick Saban is being underpaid for everything that he has done at the University of Alabama. But where Aaron is wrong, I'll be honest, in the middle of the summer, with all the Jimbo Fisher back and forth, I really did think that Nick Saban might not want to be a part of the next iteration of college football, the one-time transfer, when you have to re-recruit your entire roster every single offseason, where agents have a role, where boosters maybe have a little bit of a role, where the head coach has less power than they have ever had. Well, apparently I was wrong because Nick Saban signed a contract through 2030, and he said in an interview uh, on Thursday on ESPN, I feel like a young man. Let's clear that up. The number, the 71 is a number, just a number. I still feel like they don't make them like they used to, but you have to be flexible. In other words, he said, I feel young, I feel refreshed. I don't think he's retiring anytime soon. Now, will he make it to the end of this contract in 2030? Probably not, but it does speak to the fact that I was dead wrong. I thought, I I don't know if I thought this year was going to be his last year, but I thought we were talking one, two, maybe three 
it appears as though he's not going to slow down anytime soon. Now, as he closes in on his 72nd birthday, I believe it would be in October, things can change really quick. But Nick Saban does not appear to be slowing down, signs that long-term extension, and I was dead wrong. Where Aaron was right. Another one, listen, this was an all-timer. I've been right on this from the beginning. On Wednesday, I don't know if Kevin Durant rescinded his trade request or if, he, or if they came to a mutual whatever. But the bottom line is, I don't know that I have ever seen anything publicly go more disastrous. Kevin Durant demands a trade. The team basically says there's no market for you. Nobody wants to trade their entire team to get you when you're going to flip and be angry and want to get traded again a year from now. Then he goes to management and says, not only do I want to trade, but I'd be willing to reconsider if you fire Steve Nash and the GM, Sean Marks. And the owner, Joe Sy, says, no, nah, that's, that's, that's just not going to happen. Sorry, buddy, you're staying here. And so finally on Wednesday, Kevin Durant rescinded the trade. Listen, I've talked about this Aaron right, Aaron wrong every week for probably the last five, six, seven weeks at this point. I give ownership in Brooklyn credit, but what it speaks to is what I've been telling you. One, I do think a little bit of the player empowerment era is officially over. The era where you bring in superstars, you let them make all the big decisions, I just think that's over. And we saw that with the market for Kevin Durant. Nobody wanted to give up talented young players. The, the Memphis Grizzlies were the most recent team. Didn't want to give up Jaron Jackson. Didn't want to give up Desmond Bain. Um, you know, what Phoenix wasn't going to give up Devin Booker. They weren't going to give up a lot of their talented players. The bottom line is teams aren't going to trade everything for superstars that are going to come in for a year, two years, three years, be unhappy in a year, and demand a trade. So credit to the Brooklyn Nets. Credit to owner Joe Psy. I, I just I, I think that era of, of, of the NBA is over. I think we're back to an era where there's a little bit more balance, a little bit push-pull between ownership, between the players, between the coach, between the GM. You look at the success of the Warriors. You look at the success of the Suns. You look at the success of the Memphis Grizzlies and Boston Celtics. There is a very interesting dynamic there, unlike the Lakers who missed the playoffs, the Clippers who missed the playoffs, Brooklyn who got swept, uh, credit to Torres because I nailed that one, where Aaron was wrong. Um, so today is not the day to, to gloat one way or the other about Chet Holmgren, but I think everybody by now has probably seen he got hurt at the Seattle Pro-Am on Saturday. On Thursday, we find out that he is going to miss the entire season and need to undergo foot surgery. And so where Aaron was wrong was in the lead up to the draft, if you remember, I said, I have no super strong opinions on Chet Holmgren. I have seen those moments where he looks like the best player on the floor and he protects the rim on one end and he's shooting threes on the other and he looks like that new age unicorn, if you will. But I said, I, I also see the reality where he could have injury issues, but I believed in my heart of heart in the lead up to the draft. I didn't want to believe that there would be injury, injury issues for this kid, even though history tells us there just aren't a lot of guys that are seven foot one, seven foot two, seven foot three that are as small and as skinny as him who have had long and successful NBA careers. You know the name, or successful careers without injury is really the important part. You know the names like I do Sam Bowie, Greg Oden, Chris Dapps Porzingis, on and on and on and on and on. So I'm wishing Chet Holmgren a speedy recovery. I'm not here to gloat or uh, whatever. And I don't think most people in the NBA media are gloating, even the ones that questioned his physique. But at the end of the day, though those who sat there and said, that's such an overblown narrative, no, it's not. And I was one that I said, I don't want to believe it. I want to give the benefit of the doubt. Yet here we are, has never played an official NBA game and already undergoing foot surgery. Where Aaron was right. I told you from the second that Live Golf burst onto the scene, I said, this thing's for real. They're going to be a disruptor, and that's exactly what they are. I don't know if you saw this story the other day, but the PGA is now doing these, these, these one-off events. It's about 24 events total. It's this weird virtual thing, but it involves all of the star players, Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy. It's going to be broadcast. It's going to be more money, but this is a direct thing that happened because of Live Golf. I said, look, once the first part, when Live Golf came up, what I said was, it's going to be a slow process to start because nobody wants to be the first guy to take the Saudi oil money. But once the first guy takes all the arrows publicly, all the criticism, 
everyone is going to follow suit, or not everybody, but a lot of people are going to follow suit because it is a lot of money to turn down. We're not talking about two, three, four million dollars. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that you can make and set up your family for generations to come. And so I said Live Golf isn't going anywhere. I said it isn't going to be one or two guys. And so what ended up happening? The PGA finally realized if we do not step up, if we do not offer more guaranteed money, especially for our established stars, we are going to keep hemorrhaging them and keep losing them to Live Golf. So earlier this week, we got a react. We got something um, that was essentially a reaction to Live Golf. We got something where the PGA basically said, "We got to step up. We got to share more of the money with the players on tour, or we're going to lose them all to Live." Where Aaron was wrong. So I'll say this: you know, I- I've very much been in the camp of. Tom Brady can do no wrong. Tom Brady is the ultimate competitor. When in doubt, just trust that Tom Brady, everything is about winning. I'll just tell you, the last two, three, four weeks, it's been pretty weird, right? I mean, first we get the first he retires, then he unretires. It's pretty clear that he didn't want to play for Bruce Arians. Then we get the report that he was meeting with the Miami Dolphins, although most of those meetings were really before he signed with Tampa in the first place. Uh, and then he has the the un, unannounced uh, you know departure from training camp last week. Now, part of me feels like, look, this is just this this is just what happens to superstar players when they get really late in their careers. And I think there's a difference between uh, being a 26 year old NBA player and uh, a little and taking load management on a Tuesday and what Tom Brady and what some of these other guys have done late in their careers. Listen, I'm old enough to remember Brett Favre showing up to the end of training camp in a helicopter. Roger Clemens basically waiting until July to decide if he wanted to play baseball in that given season. Uh, LeBron James took about a, a two, three week break in the middle of a season one year in Cleveland and went out, one in, went and hung out in Miami. And so when Tom Brady did all this, I said, eh, it's probably not that big of a deal. I saw LeBron do it. I saw Roger Clemens do it. I saw, t- uh, I saw uh, Brett Favre do it. But you start to get reports. The, the Bucks didn't really know all that much about it. It wasn't family related. And I got to say, I just don't know if Tom Brady's all the way in this year on the NFL. It's worth noting he lost another starting offensive lineman to injury last week. One of their starting offensive linemen got hurt in training in in the preseason game. I think they were playing Miami, maybe. I can't remember. But I just, I just, I look at Tom Brady. He's been the consummate winner. It's been all about every single thing he does. Every moment of every day is put in to be the greatest quarterback he can be and to win at the highest level he wins at. I just don't know that he's that guy anymore. I've heard a lot of athletes say it, and I think there might be something to it. Once that word, that R word, retire, comes out of your mouth, once you're even thinking about it, there's no coming back. It's like once it gets out of your mouth, there's no way to pull it back in. And I do wonder if Tom Brady kind of has one foot in and one foot out in Tampa this year. Finally, where Aaron was right. So we'll, we'll squeeze in a little college hoops. A little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a lower a lower scale story. This isn't, you know, earth shattering Coach K retire stuff. But Maryland basketball quietly picked up a commitment on Thursday or on Wednesday, I think it was, from a four star guard from Paul VI Catholic High School in Virginia. Why is that important? It is because Mar- Maryland. So, so let's even backtrack. So Maryland basketball. When I was a kid, was incredible. I don't think people realize. Seven Sweet 16s over a 10-year stretch under Gary Williams, who once upon a time appeared on this show. Seven Sweet 16s, two Final Fours, a national championship in 2002. The program has completely fallen off, and the program has fallen off because they're not recruiting at the level that they once did, specifically in the DMV area. D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Why do I bring it up? It is because when Kevin Willard came in, I said, I don't know how great he's going to be, but I do think he understands the blueprint to have success. Like, I don't think it was a A++++ hire, but I said it's an A hire, right? How often do you get a guy to leave a Big East school to come to your school? And that's exactly what happened in Maryland. So why do I bring it up? They got a four-star from this school called Paul VI Catholic. That's one of the best high school programs in America, okay? It's based in Virginia, the last couple of years, they had Jeremy Roach who ended up at Duke, Trevor Keels who ended up at Duke, Doug McDaniel who is going to be a freshman at Michigan this year. Well, their best player just committed to Maryland. This is on the heels of a former Charlotte player transferring into Maryland 
who played at DeMatha Catholic, another one of the best programs in high school basketball. And so for years, anybody who covers college basketball like me has been saying, if Maryland can lock down the DMV, if they can lock down D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, that's a program that can win national championships. Like I'm not talking about make a Sweet 16 here and there. I'm talking about routinely compete to go to the Final Four, routinely put themselves in position to win a national championship, and credit Kevin Willard. In two months on the job, five months on the job, whatever it's been, he's gotten players out of two high schools in the DMV that Maryland has been unable to recruit the last 15 to 20 years. He's doing a great job. Credit to Kevin Willard. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Sports Podcast. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. If you could go on Apple, give us a quick five stars, leave a quick rating. I really would appreciate that. Uh, And other than that, it's go time. It is freaking go time, and I am so excited. As I said, nothing's official just yet, but we are getting down the home stretch where we have a couple major announcements coming next week, and I cannot wait to share them with you. So stay tuned, pay attention, and I'll be back on Monday reacting to week zero in college football. Shout out to Tor Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. I'll be back on Monday. New episode of the Aaron Sports Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.